0: My name is Derek Brose. For the last 10 years, I've worked as an investigative journalist, hosting a radio show, writing books, and producing numerous documentaries about the realities of child trafficking, the dangers of technology, and indigenous struggles. Now, I aim to uncover whether there exists a network of individuals and institutions which ties these issues together. Many researchers posit the existence of an international cartel which covertly manipulates world events for their own benefit. Are these claims simply fantasy and paranoid delusion? Or is there truly an agenda to subvert humanity to the demands of the pyramid of power? Chapter 12, The Crimes of the Intelligence Community. In this chapter, we are going to take a look at the history of the international intelligence community. We will be looking into the history of the British, American, Russian, Israeli, and Chinese intelligence agencies. We will focus our attention on some of the most impactful and dangerous activities committed by these five agencies. As with all of our investigations, we are only scratching the surface, and we highly encourage all viewers to follow the links and suggested reading in our transcript. The simple fact is that these five nations and the intelligence agencies which have been trained by them have been involved in a number of high-profile crimes known to much of the public as well as lesser-known crimes which are equally disturbing. Various actions taken by the modern intelligence community include overthrowing governments, funding drug trafficking and gun running, spreading propaganda through the corporate media, spying on their own domestic populations as well as foreign populations, targeted assassinations, and even accusations of trafficking of children, which we will explore in an upcoming episode of this series. In our chapter on the corporate media, we reported that in 1975, the U.S. Senate organized the U.S. Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations, otherwise known as the Church Committee. Church and his team were tasked with investigating abuse by the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Internal Revenue Service. The Church Committee investigations are well known for revealing many illegal activities by the intelligence community, including the discovery of Operation Shamrock, in which the major telecommunications companies shared their traffic with the NSA from 1945 to the early 1970s. There was also a discussion about a poison dart program that could cause someone to have a heart attack. And of course, there were the infamous MKUltra documents, which revealed the CIA's efforts to manipulate and control the human mind. The Church Committee's final report, published in April 1976, also covered CIA ties with both foreign and domestic media. We do have people who submit pieces to other two American journals. The report mentions that agents had planted false stories about activists, including Martin Luther King Jr. The report found that the CIA maintained a network of several hundred foreign individuals around the world who provide intelligence for the CIA and, at times, attempted to influence public opinion through the use of covert propaganda. These individuals provide the CIA with direct access to many newspapers and periodicals, press services and news agencies, radio and TV stations, commercial book publishers, and other foreign media outlets. At a House Intelligence Committee hearing in 1975, CIA Director William Colby was questioned about whether the agency had employees in TV networks and newspapers. Colby declined to answer and insisted on a private executive session to discuss the details of the arrangement. This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into an executive session. We have also noted how big tech and Silicon Valley executives have a long history of partnering with the US intelligence community via the CIA's venture capital firm, Incutel. Big Tech also has a close relationship with the Western military industrial complex. Finally, we've also exposed the relationship between the US intelligence agencies and US military and the Hollywood film and television industry. We are going to dive even deeper into the crimes committed by the US intelligence community. But first, let's take a look at the history of intelligence itself. The History of Intelligence Gathering Intelligence gathering, otherwise known as espionage, or spying, involves gathering secret or confidential information, or intelligence, from secret sources. A person who commits espionage is considered a spy. A spy can work in the service of a government, corporation, or criminal organization. When a spy works for a corporation, it is often known as industrial espionage, For the purposes of our conversation, we will be focusing on intelligence gathering activities conducted by governments, military, and law enforcement. Intelligence gathering dates back to the 4th century BC with the publication of The Art of War by Sun Tzu, a Chinese military theorist. He emphasized the concepts of infiltration, disinformation, and counterintelligence. There are further examples of spying in the Bible, the Greek and Roman empires, and ancient Egypt. The reality is that as long as there has been war, there have been attempts to spy and gather intelligence. Espionage activity increased exponentially as empires and militaries grew bloated. In the 17th century, French King Louis XIV maintained an organized intelligence system spread across Europe so he could keep track of his enemies. The British authorities used their own espionage network to decipher codes of the enemy. During the American Civil War, Alan Pinkerton, a former detective, served as head of the Union Intelligence Service for two years. Agents working with Pinkerton often went undercover as Confederate soldiers and sympathizers to gather military intelligence. However, the modern intelligence community as we know it today can be traced back to the early 20th century. In 1909, the UK government created the British Secret Service, or Secret Intelligence Service, also known as MI6. MI6 is focused on covert overseas collection of intelligence in support of UK national security. The agency tasked with gathering intelligence on the domestic front was the Security Service, also known as MI5. MI5 took on an important role as the First World War began, with the agency monitoring not only foreign agents, but also pacifist and anti-draft organizations. By the end of the First World War, the UK and all the major powers had sophisticated mechanisms for the training and handling of spies and for the sharing of intelligence gained through espionage. During the Russian Revolution, the British intelligence community helped Russians opposed to the Communist Revolution escape to Finland. Sir Paul Dukes was a legendary British spy known as the Man of a Hundred Faces because of his use of disguises to gain access to numerous Bolshevik organizations, including the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, the Communist International, and the secret police, the Cheka.
1: So after Secret services created in the late 1800s, America didn't really have intelligence agencies per se. They had military intelligence, army intelligence, uh, naval intelligence. So it's basically all around war intelligence. There wasn't like keep an eye on the population intelligence so much back then. It was like all kind of informalized people ratting on each other through, you know, personal, like they tell people straight up, I heard so-and-so talking ill against Teddy Roosevelt, and you might want to keep an eye on him. The first intelligence spying in this country is GCHQ, Government Communications Headquarters from the UK. 1901, they started tapping telegraph lines and transatlantic cables, and America still didn't have any intelligence uh, agencies like we see today until... After World War I, after Versailles, right before World War II, the British set up a headquarters in New York City in the 1930s to start spying on Americans, to start assassinating Americans, to start making sure that the Americans were going to go into the World War II on the side of the British. Happened in World War I. See Corbett's World War I conspiracy. It's got the whole story there. World War II would start in Rockefeller Center, where you've got British Security Coordination, which is MI6's setup in Nelson Rockefeller's Rockefeller Center, New York City. They start running um, spies through there, including, I mean, later in America, you've got Ian Fleming, Roald Dahl, so these guys who write children's books, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, They're living in America. They're working for like Lord Halifax and some of these other uh, British uh, elitists who are on the East Coast in D.C. And they're circulating through American society. And sometimes they're assassinating people. Right. So uh, the book on that would be The Irregulars by Jeanette Conant. And uh, her grandfather was James Bryant Conant, president of Harvard. So she elucidates how british spies were in this country to sway public opinion to write propaganda pieces to do assassinations against people who might not have been on their side of the war Um, america doesn't get into the war until world war ii we still don't really have any cause to have some intelligence agencies going on but the british have a plan and it's kind of working in the background it's about to take seed on uh december 7th 1941 gives us just cause to do all these sort of things
0: As Richard Grove notes, the MI6 had spies within the Japanese and German intelligence. The British spies gathered intelligence indicating that Japanese and German forces were considering attacking the Pearl Harbor military base. This information was obtained as early as July 1941, but the US government chose to allow the Japanese to attack Pearl Harbor. Around this time, Sir William Stevenson, the senior British intelligence officer in the Western Hemisphere, suggested to U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt that a U.S. intelligence network should be created and modeled after the MI6 and Special Operations Executives Framework. President Roosevelt would eventually empower William Wild Bill Donovan to run a new agency called the Office of the Coordinator of Information, which in 1942 became the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS. OSS agents were being trained in a Canadian facility set up by Stevenson and British intelligence instructors. The MI6 and OSS special operation teams were trained to infiltrate Nazi-occupied countries to organize resistance groups behind enemy lines. After the war, the OSS eventually became the Central Intelligence Agency.
1: 1947, Clark Clifford signs the National Security Act. A couple months later, CIA is created. and with that, you have an insertion of the State Department, the Anglophiles, the Cecil Rhodes Roundtable Group uh, inside as the core of the CIA. That's going to drive all its activities and overthrows and assassinations for the next 50 years. And on the outside, you've got this kind of guise of we need a national intelligence agency that, that someone to keep an eye on the Soviets and you know all this other kind of what you see on TV type stuff, right? So. Uh, CIA, again, you got instrumental MI6 uh, creating CIA. So OSS and CIA are Wall Street bankers. I'm sorry, Wall Street lawyers. The people who created MI6, they were London bankers. So MI6, like the British intelligence agencies, serviced London, City of London bankers. And then they used American lawyers to create OSS and CIA for a large part of it, right? So, uh, the reference for that will be the, the old boys, the origins of the OSS and CIA by Burton Hirsch. It's an Excellent book. we we'll would recommend that to anybody. If you want to understand And it's like not the top, top level, but Burton Hirsch does a pretty good job. He doesn't see the whole great game Rhodes picture, but he can tell you here's who these guys were and what they did. And, uh, Yeah, that takes us up to CIA. Around that time in the 1950s, you got the creation of National Security Agency here in America, which mirrors, literally mirrors GCHQ. So it's been on lockdown for a long time. They just haven't had the computing technology to really take advantage and take these great reset steps now.
0: As of 2022, the US intelligence community has grown to one of the largest in the world, The United Kingdom's modern intelligence community is still organized under MI6, as well as MI5. Other intelligence agencies include the Government Communications Headquarters, and Defense Intelligence. The History of Communist Intelligence Networks As we start to examine the horrendous actions taken by some of the world's intelligence agencies, we need to take a look at the crimes committed with the assistance of espionage networks. Let's start by examining the intelligence apparatus formed after the Communist Revolution in Russia, under the leadership of Vladimir Lenin as well as Joseph Stalin. When the Russian Revolution turned into a civil war between communist or Bolshevik fighters and their opponents, the first version of a Soviet secret police was created. The All-Russian Extraordinary Commission for Combating Counter-Revolution and Sabotage, or Cheka, was established on December 5, 1917, to defend the communist revolution against so-called class enemies which included members of the clergy and the wealthy class. Under the command of Lenin, the Cheka performed mass arrest, imprisonments, torture, and executions without trial. Lenin ordered the Cheka to begin targeting libertarians and anti-authoritarian socialists. Thousands of people would be arrested and shot without a trial. Eventually, the Cheka expanded their repression campaigns to all potential political opponents of the communist government, including anarchists and others on the left. In some cases, women would be tortured and raped before being shot. Once Lenin's Bolsheviks secured victory in the war, the party was rebranded as the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. From this point on, the intelligence community of Russia would undergo many changes. One of the most infamous agencies was the KGB also known as the Committee for State Security. The KGB was the main security agency for the Soviet Union from March 1954 until December 1991. The agency was the direct successor of the Cheka, the GPU, OGPU, and other previous Russian intelligence branches. In addition to the Russian intelligence community assisting in the creation of a communist police state, they also carried out many secret operations. The NKVD infiltrated and destroyed groups in support of Leon Trotsky, a revolutionary and ally of Lenin's who was ultimately expelled from the nation after the rise of Joseph Stalin. In 1940, Trotsky would be assassinated in Mexico City under the orders of Stalin and the Russian intelligence network. Another project carried out by Russian intelligence was known as Operation Trust, or the Trust Operation. Organized by the Cheka and then the GPU from 1921 to 1926, Trust was a counterintelligence operation involving a fake anti-Bolshevik resistance organization called Monarchist Union of Central Russia. The fake resistance group was used to identify and catch anti-Bolshevik activists and so-called counter-revolutionaries. According to historian John Costello, the Trust files are 37 volumes of bewildering tales of double agents, changed code names, and interlocking deception operations which are difficult to decipher. Some conspiracy researchers believe the recent phenomenon known as QAnon was actually a modern version of an Operation Trust or similar program designed to lead a false resistance while spreading misinformation. Russia's current security agency is the Federal Security Service of the Russian Federation, or the FSB. The agency focuses on domestic espionage, including counterintelligence, internal and border security, counterterrorism, and surveillance the FSB has been linked with the manufacturing of advanced malware tools and tools capable of hiding their activities. Reportedly, the FSB oversees training and research institutes which directly support the FSB's cyber mission. The Foreign Intelligence Service, or SVR, is Russia's primary civilian foreign intelligence service. It is responsible for the collection of foreign intelligence using human, signals, electronic, and cyber methods. The agency is known for high levels of technical expertise and a focus on gaining and retaining access to compromised networks. The main directorate of the general staff, commonly referred to as the GRU, is Russia's military intelligence agency. Both the GRU and the SVR have been accused of actions such as election interference and the 2016 US presidential election, as well as multiple cyber attacks.
1: No country has weaponized its cyber capabilities as maliciously and irresponsibly as Russia.
0: The U.S. government has accused the SVR of being one of two Russian cyber units which allegedly hacked political campaigns during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. They have also accused Unit 26165 of hacking the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the Democratic National Committee, and the presidential campaign of Hillary Clinton. As of 2022, the accusations of Russian hacking have not been substantiated and, in some cases, have been proven wrong. Either way, whether Russia hacked the US presidential election, and to whatever degree that may have had some small impact, we should not dismiss the real dangers posed by the Russian intelligence community. The History of Israeli Intelligence Before we explore the history of the Israeli intelligence community, it is worth noting that the state of Israel as it exists today would not have happened without support of the Rothschild family. While not all members of the Rothschild family supported the project, several family members figure prominently into Israeli history. As early as 1917, Walter Rothschild, 2nd Baron Rothschild, committed the British government to support Palestine as a national home for the Jewish people. Baron Edmund James de Rothschild, a French member of the Rothschild banking family, helped finance the first permanent settlement in Palestine at Rishon-le-Zion. He would take an active role in the Jewish Colonization Association and transfer his Palestinian land and 15 million francs to the organization. In 1924, Rothschild reorganized the Jewish Colonization Association into the Palestine Jewish Colonization Association, and purchased more than 125,000 acres of land for business ventures in the new Jewish state. For more on the history of the Rothschild's involvement in the founding of Israel, I recommend reading Rothschild and Early Colonization of Palestine. The intelligence networks in modern-day Israel are the successors of the organizations established before and during the birth of the state of Israel. Around 1920, the Zionist movement in British Mandate Palestine organized Haganah, the main Zionist paramilitary organizations comprised of various militias which united behind the cause of a Jewish homeland. Haganah would ultimately be dissolved in 1948 and become the official army of the State of Israel. Around 1940, Shai was established as the intelligence gathering and counter-espionage wing of Haganah. During World War II, the secretive British special operations executive trained and funded the Haganah, as well as supplying them with weapons. The British also provided special commando training for the Shai. Shai, in turn, began infiltrating British mandate offices to inform the Jewish and Zionist leadership of any potential actions by the British and collected political information that could be used as propaganda. The Mossad, or the Institute for Intelligence and Special Operations, or simply the Institute was formed on December 13, 1949, as part of the new intelligence apparatus for the State of Israel. This apparatus also included Amman, focused on military intelligence, and Shabak, focused on internal security, and the intelligence branch of the Israeli police. Amman, or the Military Intelligence Directorate, is the top-level military intelligence branch of the Israeli Defense Forces Intelligence Corps. Meanwhile, Shabak, or Shin Bet, is the agency focused on maintaining internal peace, including in the Israeli-occupied territories. The crimes of the Israeli intelligence community have filled books. The Israelis are infamous for pursuing political targets beyond their own borders and committing assassinations. These assassinations include foreign intelligence leaders such as Colonel Mustafa Hafez, head of Egyptian intelligence in the Gaza Strip. Hafez was involved in ordering violence against Israeli citizens and ultimately found himself the victim of an explosive envelope which blew off both of his hands before he died a week later. Israeli intelligence has also used their extensive surveillance networks to embarrass their enemies. In February 1956, the Mossad obtained a copy of Russian leader Nikita Khrushchev's speech denouncing the actions of his predecessor, Joseph Stalin. A copy of his speech was sent to the United States via the Mossad and was subsequently published to expose the fracture within the Soviet regime. Another important connection to Israeli intelligence is that of convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. I began investigating the Epstein network back in 2016 and eventually produced a documentary titled Bringing Down Jeffrey Epstein. One of the most frightening aspects of the Epstein tale is that the abuse of young girls by Epstein and his alleged co-conspirators may have been sanctioned by the British, American, and or Israeli intelligence community. Alexander Acosta, Donald Trump's one-time labor secretary, was involved in the 2008 decision to let Epstein off with a, quote, sweetheart deal after his first arrest for suspicion of trafficking young girls. Acosta was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida, who agreed to a plea deal which had been negotiated by Alan Dershowitz, himself a suspected participant in Epstein's activities. Almost a decade later, it was reported that while Acosta was being confirmed to Trump's cabinet as labor secretary, he stated that he was told Epstein was above his pay grade. Quote, I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone. When Acosta was questioned about this, he stated,
2: Secretary, were you ever made aware at any point in your handling of this case if Mr. Epstein was an intelligence asset of some sort?
0: Um, so, 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 so there has, there has been reporting to that effect. And, and let me say, um, there's been reporting to a lot of effects in, in, in this case, uh, not just now, but over the years. And, and again, I would, you know, I would hesitate to take this reporting as fact. Um, this was a case that was brought
2: by our office. It was brought based on the facts. And, and I look at that reporting and others. I, I can't address it directly because of our, uh, our, our guidelines.
0: Um, but I can tell you that that a lot of reporting is just going down rabbit holes. A, a, a a A few more questions. Additional potential intelligence connections to Epstein, which point at Israel, include his relationship to Ghislaine Maxwell, now convicted for her role in Epstein's network. Ghislaine Maxwell's involvement with Epstein is important because her father, Robert Maxwell, has also been suspected of being an undercover agent working for the Israeli Mossad. In 1991... Veteran investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch released the book, The Samson Option, which reported on Maxwell's close connections to Israeli intelligence. In 2002, another book titled Robert Maxwell, Israel's Super Spy, was released by researchers Gordon Thomas and Martin Dillon. The book claimed that Maxwell worked as a double agent for the Israeli Mossad and Britain's MI6, and also had connections to organized crime in Eastern Europe. The authors also wrote that Maxwell had been murdered by the Israeli Mossad because he was apparently threatening to expose Israeli secrets. Accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Officials say the disgraced financier died by suicide. Jeffrey Epstein's own alleged suicide is largely suspected to be either a rescue operation or an assassination by an intelligence community which no longer saw him as useful. Finally, Jeffrey Epstein's relationship with Leslie Wexner, the owner of the limited brands, including Victoria's Secret, is another source of potential intelligence relationships. In the 1980s, Epstein had joined investment firm Bear Stearns after a stint as a school teacher and was quickly making connections in the New York finance world. Around this time, Les Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein became acquainted. By 1995, Wexner sold Epstein his 45,000-square-foot, eight-story mansion on East 71st Street in New York City for $1. Wexner was considered to be one of the most prominent Jewish philanthropists. One of these efforts includes organizing what was sometimes known as the study group, but more commonly known as the mega group. The Wall Street Journal reported in 1998 that the Megagroup was a group of elite Jewish philanthropists that was formed in 1991 and developed as an effort to conduct a high-minded philanthropic discussion about the pressing issues of the Jewish people. The Megagroup is suspected of being a front for Israeli intelligence. Whether or not we will ever have solid evidence that Epstein was indeed an agent of the Mossad or other intelligence agency, we know for a fact that Epstein and the Israeli spy units have long been interested in computer technology. The Israelis have been focused on training the younger generations to be masters of digital tools. The Israeli intelligence community has spent years making itself the nexus of digital technology and cybersecurity. For example, the city of Beersheba is home to the brain of the country. Beersheba is home to a technological complex which has given birth to some of the leading IT security companies in the world. The Israeli Intelligence Network has also focused on forming public-private partnerships with private companies involved in cybersecurity and similar fields. As journalist Whitney Webb reported in 2020, one such company is Cyber Reason, a firm focused on selling technological cybersecurity solutions like antivirus and ransomware protection software. The company offers a technological defense platform to companies and governments using artificial intelligence and cloud computing via Amazon Web Services. Cyber Reason is one of the many companies whose board of directors and employee list is riddled with officials with formal training from Israeli intelligence. Cyber Reason CEO Lior Div has openly admitted that he views his work at Cyber Reason as a continuation of his service to Israel's intelligence apparatus. One of the agencies which has a large contingent in private industries is the Signal Intelligence Agency known as Unit 8200, best known for its cyber offenses against other governments. Unit 8200 is an elite unit mainly involved in signal intelligence, surveillance, cyber warfare, and code decryption. Sometimes compared to the Israeli equivalent of the United States NSA, Unit 8200 is infamous for surveillance of Palestinian civilians and using intercepted communications as blackmail against Palestinians living in the occupied West Bank. In fact, the NSA and Unit 8200 have collaborated on numerous projects, including the Stuxnet virus. The NSA has also worked with veterans of Unit 8200 in the private sector. In one incident, the NSA hired two Israeli companies to create backdoors into all the major U.S. telecommunications systems and major tech companies, including Facebook, Microsoft, and Google. The executives of the two companies, Varent and Neris, have ties to Israeli intelligence. While Unit 8200 is an important piece of the Israeli intelligence puzzle, two lesser-known programs also deserve attention. First, the Taupiat program is another so-called elite program under the Israeli Defense Forces, which has been hosted by Hebrew University since 1979. Taupyat has a couple meanings in Hebrew, but it is generally translated to mean stronghold or tall turrets. The program was initiated by Professor Felix Dothan and Professor Shal Yatsev of the Hebrew University with the idea of harnessing human creativity at a young age and training recruits with outstanding academic ability in the sciences and leadership potential. In a rare instance of mainstream media reporting on Talpiot, a 2007 Wall Street Journal article described Talpiot as "quote the country's most selective institution. It accepts 50 students a year and trains them in physics, computers, and other sciences. Its mission is to create innovative, tech-savvy leaders capable of transforming Israel's military. Soldiers picked for Talpiot aren't expected to fight like ordinary soldiers. Instead, they are selected for a quote ultra-competitive, grueling." Fast paced program designed to give them the best educational and military training possible. Talpiot recruits are chosen for a decade and taught by, quote, some of the world's top minds in mathematics, physics, and computer science, as well as some of Israel's top strategic leaders from the Army, Navy, and Air Force. Just like with Unit 8200, graduates of Talpiot have developed a habit of forming tech companies. Once a graduate leaves Unit 8200 or Talpiot, they take what they learned for the IDF and apply it to the Israeli economy. Talpiot graduates hire each other and help each other find jobs once in the private sector, which has resulted in a rapidly growing tech industry in Israel. As a result of the startup culture produced by these elite intelligence units, Israel has more companies listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange than any country except the United States. A perfect example of this pattern can be seen in the life of Zohar Zisipel, who has been referred to as the father of Israel's tech sector. Mr. Zisipel is credited with starting 27 companies in the last 30 years. He is co-founder and chairman of the Rad Data Communications. Rad is a solutions provider for more than 100 telecom operators around the world, including AT&T, British Telecom, Deutsche Telecom, France Telecom, Japan Telecom, and Orange France. It provides communication tools to major players in the banking, Commerce, education, finance, government, military, transportation, and utility sectors. Clearly, Rad Group is an important player in the tech sector. Although it's not 100% clear if Zohar Zisipel served time in Talpiot, he is a veteran of another special unit known as Unit 81. Just as with Talpiot, Zisipel and veterans of Unit 81 support each other by investing in each other's companies. Unit 81 was originally known by the generic name the Intelligence Corps Technological Unit until the military approved for it to be called by its official name. The unit is made up of mostly Talpiot graduates. Recruits serve in the unit for the minimum of three years mandatory service before departing to civilian life and launching lots of companies. According to one estimate, soldiers and officers who served in Unit 81 between 2003 and 2010 have gone on to found a massive number of startups. Roughly 100 veterans of the unit have founded 50 companies so far. One Taupia graduate describes the benefits of Unit 81. The unit practically invented cyber education and recruited people who were very skilled at programming and computer science. Some of them got a taste for cyber in high school as amateur hackers. There were 18-year-old geniuses taking part in these courses who were entirely self-taught and possessed more knowledge than the instructors. Clearly, the Israeli intelligence community has played a major role in the growth of the nation's tech sector. But more importantly, the Israeli intelligence network poses a great danger to the privacy and security of the systems in which they have maneuvered themselves into. For example, independent media outlet Narrative reported that Israeli company Carbine 911 had received substantial funding from Jeffrey Epstein as well as Epstein's close associate, former head of Israeli military intelligence, and former prime minister of Israel Ehud Barak. Carbine 911 also received funding from Silicon Valley venture capitalist Peter Thiel. Carbine 911 is a plug-in for emergency call centers and an app for consumers which promises to make call handling easier and to help identify a caller. It has begun to be used in emergency response services in countries around the world, including the United States, where it has already been implemented in several U.S. counties and has partnered with major U.S. tech companies like Google. Carbine works by giving a 911 dispatcher access to the caller's camera and GPS to provide the worker with a live feed. Carbine's executive team is filled with former members of Israeli intelligence, including Unit 8200. Carbine's current CEO, Amir Elikai, served in Unit 8200. He hired former Unit 8200 commander Pinchas Buchris to serve as the company's director. Carbine co-founder Lital Lesham also served in Unit 8200 and later worked for Israeli private spy company Black Cube. Michael Chertoff, who ran Homeland Security under U.S. President George Bush, also serves on Carbine's advisory board. Chertoff wrote the Patriot Act, which authorized digital surveillance of Americans. The combination of a tool like Carbine 911 and the presence of the Israeli sector of the military intelligence surveillance complex is plenty reason to be concerned about the potential for mass surveillance and the infiltration of important emergency systems around the world. For example, Carbine's smartphone app gathers a device's location, video live-streamed from the smartphone to the call center, and other data from the phone. According to Carbine's website, this same information can also be obtained from any smartphone even if it does not have Carbine's app installed, if that phone calls a 911 call center that uses Carbine. Again, this means there is incredible potential for a firm like Carbine, with its numerous connections to Israeli intelligence, to gain access to private data from people all around the world. And this is only one company. The Israeli intelligence community is loved by some, feared by many, and operating in the shadows to most. Between Unit 8200, Taupiat, Unit 81, and the hundreds of companies they have created, there is a very real potential for the Israeli spies to have unimaginable access and control of digital infrastructure around the world. The Chinese Intelligence Network The Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army are the leading bodies in the People's Republic of China. These organizations have overseen the transformation of China's intelligence apparatus since the revolution and civil war nearly 100 years ago. Due to the CCP's extreme level of secrecy, the exact details of China's espionage operations are not known. What follows is a partial summary. The People's Liberation Army Intelligence focuses on collecting foreign military, economic, and political intelligence. The PLA answers to China's Central Military Commission, China's leading military authority. Other military and intelligence forces include the People's Liberation Army Reserve Force, the People's Armed Police, and the Militia. Additionally, the Ministry of State Security coordinates foreign intelligence operations. Just like Israel, China is increasingly focused on cyber espionage. Chinese intelligence services have proven they are capable of infiltrating U.S. national security operations. For example, in October 2018, the U.S. government announced the arrest of a Chinese Ministry of State Security operative named Yan Jun Zhu. He was charged with conspiring and attempting to commit economic espionage and steal trade secrets from multiple U.S. aviation and aerospace companies. Zhu was extradited to the United States. In recent decades, the Chinese Communist Party has committed to cyber warfare and information warfare. Cyber warfare sees the internet and other digital infrastructure as another battleground in an asymmetric war. Two People's Liberation Army colonels outline this theory in the book Unrestricted Warfare, writing, quote, "Methods that are not characterized by the use of the force of arms, nor by the use of military power, nor by even the presence of casualties and bloodshed are just as likely to facilitate the successful realization of the war's goals, if not more so." Information warfare for the Chinese Communist Party is focused on five major elements. The use of hard weapons to destroy enemy headquarters, command posts, and command and control information centers. Electronic warfare using electronic means of jamming or the use of anti radiation electromagnetic weapons to attack enemy information and intelligence collection systems. Military deception. Operational security. Psychological warfare using TV, radio, the internet to undermine the enemy's military morale? Information warfare is itself a subset of what China calls informationization. Informationization has been described as embracing all the opportunities and technologies the information age can offer and integrating them into military systems. While we do not have a completely clear picture of the operations of the Chinese intelligence community, we can surmise that their operations include spying on their own people via social credit scores and facial recognition cameras, infiltrating foreign governments and militaries as well as the private sector, and disseminating propaganda to their own people and the international community. The Modern Crimes of the Intelligence Community Our final study will briefly look at some of the more recent actions of the U.S. intelligence community. While the CIA infiltrating the mass media is a massive violation, it hardly scratches the surface of what we have seen the intelligence community commit. It is true that the state-sanctioned propaganda poses a real threat to liberty, but it does not match the horrors unleashed by the U.S. government over the last 60 years. Beginning in late 1956, the CIA participated in Operation Gladio, a secret arrangement between the Western Union, NATO, the CIA, and European intelligence agencies. Gladio involved creating stay-behind operations where Western intelligence agents were placed in undercover positions to counter communist influence. The U.S. government has been accused of funding militant left-wing terrorist groups and staging false flag attacks. The CIA and U.S. government officials have denied the claims, stating that the accusations are rehashed, Former Soviet disinformation based on documents that the Soviets forged. However, an Italian investigation into Operation Gladio led to Judge Guido Salvini concluding that some terrorist organizations were part of a secret army which had links to the CIA. Salvini also said the CIA encouraged the groups to commit atrocities. In 2000, an Italian parliamentary report stated that the bombings had been organized, supported, or promoted by Italian officials with links to American intelligence. The CIA is also known for its role in overthrowing democratically elected governments and funding puppet activist movements. Operation Condor is one example of the depravities which were officially sanctioned by the U.S. intelligence community. Condor was a U.S. government-backed campaign of state terror and repression of political opponents by right-wing dictatorships in South America. The operation officially began in November 1975 with the U.S. government providing planning, training on torture methods, technical support, and military aid during the Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan administrations. The CIA often funneled the funds to the dictatorships with support and backing of former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger. Operation Condor resulted in the torture and death of tens of thousands of people throughout South America as well as the loss of civil liberties and the general terror of living through such dark times. The CIA was not content to only support torture and murder via foreign dictatorships. They also embraced assassinations and torture as part of the infamous Phoenix Program. The program was designed, coordinated, and executed by the CIA and the United States Special Operations Forces during the Vietnam War. The Phoenix program was designed to identify and neutralize the infrastructure of the National Liberation Front of South Vietnam, or the Viet Cong. Neutralizing a target could involve infiltration, capture, terrorism, torture, and assassination. The CIA described it as a "quote" set of programs that sought to attack and destroy the political infrastructure of the Viet Cong. People suspected of being Viet Cong members were taken to interrogation centers where many of them were tortured in an attempt to gain intelligence on Viet Cong activities in the area. The information extracted at the centers was then given to military commanders who would use it for further capture and assassination missions. The program was in operation between 1965 and 1972, and similar efforts existed both before and after that period. By 1972, Phoenix operatives had neutralized 81,740 suspected Viet Cong operatives, informants, and supporters, with somewhere between 26,000 and 41,000 people having been murdered. One of the only reasons the Phoenix program is known to the world is because of the research of Douglas Valentine, who actually sat down directly with CIA operatives, including former CIA director William Colby.
2: I went to William Colby in 1984 Um, He was the CIA official most uh, associated with the Phoenix program. As I said earlier, he testified about Phoenix very favorably to Congress in 1971, 1972, and 1973 again. I went to Colby, and I told him I wanted to write a book about the Phoenix program. And for reasons I'm not quite sure of, it may have to do with the fact that I wrote a book about World War II, which, which he read and which he liked. Colby introduced me to all the senior CIA officers who were involved in the Phoenix program. My book was almost totally based on tape-recorded conversations um, uh, with, with the senior CIA officers who ran its covert action programs.
0: After interviewing Colby and senior CIA officers about the program, Valentine published his 1991 book, The Phoenix Program, America's Use of Terror in Vietnam.
2: Just like today, if it's a CIA program, the the media doesn't talk about it. But in fact, the CIA set up a, a Phoenix uh, center in every province, district, and, and city in South Vietnam, and, and um, uh, these centers were composed of representatives from all the intelligence, security, police, and, and military uh, organizations that existed in Vietnam at the time, and they would they would compile blacklists on people who were suspected of being in the National Liberation Front and they would hand these blacklists to the death squads that they had put together that the CIA actually funded and and recruited people to be part of and these death squads would go out and um, capture people and put them into uh, send them to if they didn't kill them they'd send them to uh, secret CIA interrogation centers
0: according to Valentine methods of torture that were utilized at the interrogation centers include rape, gang rape, rape using eels, snakes or hard objects, and rape followed by murder, electrical shock rendered by attaching wires to the genitals and other sensitive body parts like the tongue, the water treatment, the airplane in which a prisoner's arms were tied behind the back and the rope looped over a hook on the ceiling, suspending the prisoner in mid-air after which he or she would be beaten, beatings with rubber hoses and whips, and the use of police dogs to maul prisoners. The U.S. intelligence community's support of torture didn't end with the Vietnam War. After the attacks of September 11, 2001, the U.S. government began spying on Americans' phone calls as part of the new push for a national security state to fight off the specter of terrorism. In the days following the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. government sanctioned mass kidnapping of American citizens and foreigners suspected of potential connection to terrorism the CIA also began operating a network of so-called black sites, secret prisons for torturing suspected extremists or terrorists. The CIA would kidnap individuals abroad and take them to an unknown location where they would be denied access to a lawyer and basic human rights while also being subjected to disturbing torture methods. While many of these details surrounding black sites are still classified, in 2014, Poland admitted to being a host nation for such black sites. It's important that we recognize how much secrecy exists around the intelligence communities we have just exposed. The information we shared is based on previous reporting, agency statements, and declassified documents. However, the reality is that we might not ever know the truth of how far these agencies have gone in the name of preserving so-called national security. For example, some of these agencies, the British MI6, the US CIA and FBI, the Israeli Mossad, have also been accused of staging terror attacks, what are sometimes referred to as false flag attacks. We will explore this subject in depth in an upcoming episode, but we may never find a document that clearly identifies the crimes and players involved in the countless operations, surveillance, torture, rape, and murder. The truth is likely lost to the pages of history, or hidden forever in an encrypted, classified government database. Solutions. Are there solutions for a situation in which numerous agencies, which are invisible to the average person, are capable of peering into every detail of our lives while also being capable of excruciating violence? Is it possible to understand all that we have uncovered and still have hope for the future of the world? Obviously the answer is subjective and will largely be dependent on your current state of mind. Personally, I do find reason to be hopeful. I'm not talking about a false sense of hopium that someone is coming to save the day, but a real recognition that there are many, many people working on solutions for overcoming the current power structures, including the intelligence community. In the end, maybe we are outmatched, outgunned, and outhacked. But I choose to continue to focus on the solutions I can implement in my own life and focus on building a better tomorrow. I choose to question authority and continue exposing the lies of the intelligence community. Sometimes, the only solution is to spread awareness to those around us so we can finally break through the veil of ignorance. To learn more about the history and crimes of the intelligence community, we encourage you to watch the following. Secrets of the CIA, Mind Control, America's Secret War, Counterintelligence Shining a Light on Black Operations, Psy War, and How the CIA Deceived the Country During the Vietnam War.